Luke chapter 6, verse 43. says this. No good tree bears bad fruit. Anyone here got a fruit tree in their garden? There's a few of you, more than I thought. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn thorn bushes. Did you know that? You don't pick figs from thorn bushes. Anyone ever tried to pick a fig from a thorn bush? It's nonsense. Not something you would do. And you don't pick grapes from briars. Our garden's full of briars, and I would love if the briar patches produced grapes, but they don't. Uh, They're just ugly and horrible. And then it goes on. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Do you listen to that? If you're a good man, you have good things in your heart, and it comes out of that goodness. And um, logically, an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then there's this next bit that I really like, and he goes, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus uses a very, very bit of simple um, teaching here to say how your internal lives and your external lives are connected. Fruit trees, now I realise if you live in a flat it might be a bit more of a stretch, (laughs) but fruit trees by their very nature produce fruit. My parents have got apple trees and lo and behold they produce apples and sometimes our garden's got uh, blackberry bushes and they produce blackberries similarly briar patches produce thorns all those hedges where we play football they are full of thorns and I have had numerous footballs punctured by the thorns that surround it. They don't produce fruit, they don't produce nice things, they are just uh, something that you are very wary of. So the effect these plants produce on the wider world is tied up with their nature and purpose. And that truth is the same for people. Our language that we use, and looking round, I see quite a few people that are quite happy to talk. Some, even the hind legs off a donkey. And what you talk about comes from the fullness, stop prodding people in front of you and saying that's you. Um, And what you speak about, what you speak about comes from your heart. It's not just things that are going on, but it's what you care about. Your internal dialogue comes out in your language. What you're worried about, what you love, what you care about, what you value, your language is a product of what goes inside. So we know what goes on inside of you because of what you talk about. If a heart is far from Jesus... The conversation will be littered with profanity, with whinging, with gossip, and with pride. So if you don't know Jesus, 
that's what your conversation will be full of, and, I, and I've seen it time and time again. However, if you know Jesus and he's your friend, if you've been made new by the Holy Spirit, your conversation will be a bit like a fruit tree. It will be full of delicious things. It will be full of gratitude. It will be full of humility. And it will be full of love. And it is common, and I don't know whether you share the experience, it is common for us to be able to spend a certain amount of time, I reckon, about half an hour with someone, um, I can gauge whether it's likely they're a Christian or not. Um, I think it's likely that all of us have the same experiences. Um, you can, I can often be talking to someone, and just out of the blue, there's that sense of, wait a minute, I wonder if this person knows Jesus. Because there is something about their conversation and what is in their heart that you suddenly think, I think their heart might be a bit different to what the world normally brings out. So, what's in your heart comes out in your language, and that's that simple Jesus teaching here. Now, I want to go on to um, one of my favourite things Jesus ever said. It's kind of something that I find really helpful just to remember and look on and dwell on. Have a look at Luke chapter 12. It says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Or sell your possessions and buy something from Asda and put it on our homeless uh, table at the back. Jesus would have said that that thing if that table existed in his time. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. And some of us are going, oh, you know, my purse is always full of receipts and credit cards and cash. And I really like the idea of a a wallet that doesn't wear out. And then Jesus sort of kicks you in the shins. And he says, uh, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And you're like, ah, Jesus, you got me there. And then he goes in verse 34, this lovely truth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you value money, you will work hard to accumulate it, and it will preoccupy your mind. It will be something that you dwell on, given half the chance. And if we remember that te- the first teaching of Jesus we read about, we will realise that it will flavour your conversations. If money is on your mind and it is on your heart, you will dominate conversations with um, topics like investments, like in mortgages, like interest rates and pensions. These will be the things you're preoccupied and you talk about and you will bore everyone to death with. Similarly, other folks value other stuff. We may not care about how much is in our bank, but we like to fill our homes with stuff. And we fill our homes with things that will distract us from what is going on. And those people will love to talk about their possessions. They will talk about the newest technology. They will talk about famous brands. They will talk about uh, the finest uh, quality. And 
they will be counting down the days to Black Friday when they can buy all the stuff um, that's missing in their lives. But there are lots of different obsessions. We may feel pure and holy that we care not either for uh, how big our bank balance is or how full our homes are, but we can become also preoccupied with our popularity. There is a uh, phenomenon on social media where you care about how many likes or ticks or thumbs up you get. My children are being brought up as they watch all these YouTube videos of please subscribe, please comment, please approve this. And it becomes more and more a preoccupation with people. Sport, we can become uh, preoccupied with sport. We can become preoccupied with family and health and diet and fashion and entertainment. So much that it fills our heart and it's all we care about and it's all we talk about. Whenever someone treasures these, it will be obvious because they will spend time on it. They will spend time thinking about it and it will come out their mouths. We are often quite transparent people. It's quite easy to tell what matters most in your life. And this Christmas season, I wanted us to focus on a few people, on some characters in this nativity story, who proved by their actions, by their passions and their words that their purses weren't in earth, but they were in heaven. So I want you to picture the scene, and we're going to go to the, uh, our very first character in the nativity. So I want you to picture the scene. This is first century um, arid Palestine. You know, they don't have lush, green downs, hillsides to enjoy. They're sort of deserts where water is at a premium. And we think or 52% of the population thinks that being ruled by the EU is a bad thing. Well, uh, first century Palestine was ruled by a Roman Empire and um, you had a lot less say in the Roman Empire and it was a lot more uh, oppressive and horrible and, and Israel was swallowed up by this world power that was just conquering again and again and uh, 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 bringing all sorts of uh, uh, pagan um, ideas into their society and the Holy Spirit seems to have been silent for quite a few hundred years they'd had no more canonical books produced you know sort of uh, after Ezra and Nehemiah and, 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 and Malachi and, and these kind of prophets and leaders the, the Holy Spirit hadn't said anything new uh, uh, obviously to Israel and so it was quite a quite a sort of trough time for Israel. Nothing really was happening. They were oppressed by the Roman Empire. Uh, the Holy Spirit seemed to have uh, quietened. And, and there was none of the drama of, their, of the early years of their nation. And now I want you to remember that there is a young lady. She was probably looking at the laws of Rome and Jewish custom. She was probably about 13. And you have this young lady 
of 13, and she's probably doing her daily chores, perhaps collecting water, um, perhaps cooking. My knowledge of first century female activity is kind of exhausted there, um, without sort of wandering into um, some sort of ignorance or sexism or something else. And she's engaged to be married. And she's engaged to be married to probably an older guy called Joseph. And it is likely a 13-year-old girl would probably be a little bit excited and a little bit nervous and scared at being married to this guy. Now, he seems to be okay, a good egg. He seems to be godly from the few words that we hear him speak. He seems to have been a gentleman, someone that treated Mary well. And he seems to have got this good trade in carpentry that uh, he would teach Jesus. And so there are many qualities about him that we would lift him up and say, you know, this guy is all right. But imagine you're a 13-year-old girl and there's a prospect of starting up a family. I don't know many 13-year-old girls that would be ready for uh, marriage. She's immature. She's young. She's only possibly just entered that sort of uh, uh, age of puberty and you're starting to struggle. Whoa, this is a big deal. And then something happens that will mean her life is never the same again. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. He was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, You who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Everyone say forever. Forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no God, no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Every time I look at this 
and dwell on it, you know, not just let the words trip off a tongue as part of a carol service, but actually spend a moment in it. You're confronted with all sorts of things that bring you up short. Nothing had been heard, really, obviously, from the Holy Spirit for a few hundred years. Angels were in the Old Testament, but very rarely appeared. And then suddenly, this young Jew, who would have been familiar with, with uh, much of our Old Testament, she encounters an encounter that she knows about in Scripture, but is suddenly brought to her very door. It is a massive deal. She was minding her own business in a land that was oppressed by Rome, that was just going through the motions of living, that didn't seem to have much hope of independence or expansion or any other uh, dreams of Israel. And then suddenly an angel of great significance comes to this young lady. A messenger from God comes And the thing about messengers is they they bring a message. It wasn't just a supernatural visitation, like an angel doing jazz hands and saying, here I am, and then flying off. It was a moment of significance, a moment of truth. And as he stands there, and this angel Gabriel, probably having been in the presence of the Holy One, uh, would have reflected like Moses did in the Old Testament, something of God's glory, even though he wasn't um, uh, demonstrating it himself. Having spent time with God, it was likely that as he stood there, he probably did shine with some sort of radiance. And her attention is secured. She's not going to wander off looking for something more interesting to do then. And then... He says these incredibly welcome words. I wonder what you would imagine an angel would say to you if you were to meet one once in your life. I often imagine that if I ever was blessed with an angel, that the first thing would be stop doing that and stop doing that. And there's that that you really need to cut out completely. But this angel brings a blessing. This Lord of hosts, this King of this Yahweh, this God and Lord who brought them out of Egypt. He doesn't just say hi, but this God of all says he favours her and he is alongside her. 